This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. On the line with us is Mark Fidget. He's a member of the Verico Mortgage Network, licensed 26 years in the mortgage industry, and the driver behind this website, www.advancedequity.ca. Such a great topic to have right now, Mark, talking about the mortgages and the industry in itself. And I know, Blair, I said that you would get to start the segment off, but this is a crazy number. (laughs) As of April 22nd, 2020, 710,000 mortgages in this country have been deferred. Wow, that's that's quite something, right? It's uh, you know it's crazy, uh, and, and uh, as we'll get into the conversation here, trying to get through on the phone to even talk about a deferral, the banks have just been slammed. I mean, hence your numbers. Wow. Yeah, and if, if 710,000 got approved, you know, it's probably north of a million people have, you know, tried to apply or wish they were eligible or something like that. It's probably a pretty significant uh, portion of the overall market. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, but it, it's, you have to understand that when this first started, there was no blueprint for this, and the banks were just as stunned as everybody else. So in the beginning, it was real Mickey Mouse, and it wasn't until the government stepped in and kind of gave the banks a little bit more of an assurance, uh, CMHC as well. So then it started to have some kind of system to it, but still, those numbers are staggering. And I just let's be clear here, Mark, because because uh, it's just something that I've learned recently. Uh, a deferring a, a deferred mortgage means that you are not paying your regular payments. Well, yes and no. So the the big confusion is some people thought that it's free; you don't have to pay; it just goes away, and that's not the case. I think the real word that's missing is the word now. You don't have to pay it now. You. For example, what the banks have done is they're deferring up to six months now. So if your payment is, say, $2,000 a month, and let's fast forward six months, you've now deferred six payments of $2,000, so $12,000. So what happens is people are even thinking, well, in six months, do I all of a sudden have to come up with $12,000? No, it's actually added to the back end of your mortgage. So you're going you're gonna to owe just uh, north of $12,000, but it's going to be added to your total. So if you've got a mortgage owing of 200000 now it's 212000 and change, and there's a bit of accrued interest, but it's cheap money. So if you need it, it's a great program. I see. Okay, cool. Thanks for answering that, because I, I, I was confused as well. So that's great. Yeah, and, and Mark, who is the typical person that's looking to defer their mortgage these days? You know, what type of factors are banks looking at on whether you qualify? What's been your experience there? Well, who's looking to defer their mortgage? I think this is the real icebreaker here, Blair, and I, I actually heard you say it uh, earlier in the week. You know, w- when the tide goes out, you see what's going on and who's wearing their swimming trunks. The unfortunate <laughs> thing about this whole dilemma is there's no real one painted picture for who is deferring their mortgage. I mean, pilots have been laid off. I mean, you would think, hey, that's a great occupation. You know, the, you've got a, you know, maybe you go out and you're a pilot and you get a great mortgage and it's, it's high, but hey, I got, I got guaranteed income. So really, there was no certain 
uh, class or, or income. It was basically everybody who was affected. Uh, a lot of them just were very tight to being, uh, you know, one or two months away from not being able to afford a payment. And that's that's been a big revelation, I think, for a lot of people, Mark. And I remember, um, you know, I saw it with the, the government shutdown in the U.S. You had so many, you know, federal employees, you know, great jobs. And in the space of two weeks, people were down, you know, rationing medication, not able to afford groceries. So it seems to speak to, you know, in general, the average consumer, a North American consumer, doesn't have a whole lot of an emergency fund, a whole lot of savings. So, you know, someone like a pilot who's probably earned a good income for a period of time, you know, if, if professionals like that are seeking a mortgage deferral, um, you know, it really doesn't speak well to the average person having a lot of savings or an emergency fund there well and this is just my experience Blair, but my experience with clients of all different incomes is they all seem to live their life according to what they make so um, in a situation mm-hmm. like this when you think everything is guaranteed and nothing's going to change tomorrow and if you're living at maximum capacity in terms of spending yeah, this is where it really comes back to hurt you and you know, you know, Mark, I think that that's one of, they, they talk about that this period of time that we're in, at the end of it, there will be a whole bunch of, uh, sort of new realities. And I always think about it as lessons learned. And I think that might be one of the most important lessons that we are going to come out of this with. That, you know, that pushing to the limits, needing to have everything, wanting to have everything right now in a, in a big form or a small form or in a luxury form or whatever it is, as opposed to taking, uh, taking a, a breath or taking a step and thinking, boy, do I really need to get that now? Do I need to purchase that now? I know that that's something that I go through and I'm, I'm thinking that other people are doing that too. Well, absolutely. I mean, when you think about, Right now, they're talking that people are actually saving more now than when they were, you know, a lot of these people aren't working, but they're actually learning to save more. They're not spending. So, and I think you're right that when people come out of this, uh, I mean, you hate to say it, but sometimes uh, the best lessons learned are the ones that come the hard way. And this is, uh, this is what I think will happen, too. I think people are going to spend less just because they've experienced something that they never thought would ever happen in their life. And could it happen again? Hey, you never know now, right? Yeah, and I think having to stay home, being asked to stay home or to limit our activities, I think that even just for however long that lasts, and it may be over by the time this segment uh, runs in the big way that it is now, um, I mean, that makes a difference for people. For sure. I mean, it's, you know, the other good thing that I think has come of this is people have, like you sort of talked about it, more time with their families, sort of experiencing the things that are really important. Is it, is it that nice car? Is it that motorcycle? Is it, you know, that fancy watch? Or, or is it really, you know, what's important? And, and I think that's sort of changing a lot, too, which is a great thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what I'm hoping comes out of this, too, is a whole lot less stigma around debt, that I think there's mm. going to be, you know, so much financial impact, so many people having a tough time that, you know, I think finally they'll start to throw out into the open uh, the fact that the average consumer is overextended and we shouldn't be judging ourselves. We should just be able to move forward and actually take some steps to, to fix the problem rather than be, you know, so down on everybody for getting into it. Uh, Mark, I was curious from your perspective, are there clients who you think shouldn't investigate, uh, you know, a mortgage deferral, um, you know, whether they wouldn't get approved or it's not the right decision for them? Well, I, I think the key component is, are you experiencing financial hardship right now as a result of, 
you know, this pandemic. Um, you know, there's there's talk. I've read things about, you know, why, you know, don't do it. It's going to accrue interest. But when you think of this, Blair, your interest rate is at your contract rate. So if you've got a 3% interest rate or a five-year term, that's the, you know, it's such, it's such a small interest rate. So, you know, the, the question is, if you can afford to pay your mortgage payment, then go ahead and pay it. But if you are having hardship, you've lost a job, or, you know, your income has been reduced, or you're having to stay home to look after someone who's not well because of, you know, this virus, then you know what? This is a great thing. I, I, I think the interest rate's so low, um, you're not going to have to pay it immediately. It gets tagged to the uh, end of your mortgage, so it's, it's, it's insignificant. So I would say absolutely if you can say that you've been affected by the virus in some way, then, yeah, you're, you're likely going to qualify. Okay, and that makes good sense. Yeah, as you're speaking here, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, if the difference is you've got a credit card bill that you've got to pay, uh, and if you don't defer your mortgage, you're not able to pay it, well, your credit card is probably 20 to 30% interest, and your mortgage is free, so uh, that's not too tough of a calculation to make. That's a better use of your funds. Absolutely, and then there's, you know, you bring up the, you know, the idea of credit card. I think, you know, what I've told to a lot of my clients is just make a list of all your debt and sort of if you've been affected by this, start with your mortgage if you have one uh, or your rent or whatever it is and go down the line, your credit card, call them up. I think everybody within reason is working with people because they know this is something that we've never experienced before and everybody's having a tough time. So, you know, don't be afraid to reach out there, but uh, be prepared to be put on hold for quite a while. Yeah, fair enough, right? Um, and from a credit rating point of view, Mark, I get this question a lot when you're dealing with creditors. You know, if you're deferring a mortgage payment, what is the impact? Is that going to affect your credit? Well, I'm I'm hoping not. So they're saying that if you've been approved for a deferral, then the banks will not be reporting to the credit bureau because typically, as you know, Blair, you miss payments. Uh, it gets automatically uh computer generated and, and reported to the credit bureau. So it's one of those things where the bank actually has to make that change. So I'm telling all my clients that it shouldn't affect your credit. It's not supposed to, but if you can get something in writing from whoever you're speaking to at the bank, so at least at the end of the day, if you go back and find out that, hey, this affected my credit and the bank told me that it wasn't, then at least you've got a name and a, some type of communication to go back and, and try to you know, sort of get it sorted out at the end of the day. Yeah, and that's just so important because I, I deal with clients, you know, quite often. Okay, there's an inaccuracy on the credit report. If you've got something in writing, you know, I can send them documents to say what should be on there. It's very easy to get, it, to get it corrected. If it's, well, you know, the bank promised me they wouldn't report this payment late, but you don't know who, you don't know when, you didn't get it in, in writing, uh, you're not going to be successful in getting your credit rating, you know, fixed if there is an error made on that. Absolutely. And, you know, we've, we've all... Not all, but you and I, Blair, we're in the same sort of dealing with credit issues, and we know that the amount of inconsistencies on a person's credit bureau are crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost rarer to find one that has zero errors than to find one that has a bunch. They almost all have at least a few things. No, for sure. It, it, it should be corrected there. Um, so, so, Mark, I'm curious your, your overall advice, you know, of clients who are you know, in a mortgage now, they're considering about mortgage deferral, or even more broadly considering, you know, what do I do to get through this next, you know, period of time, however long it's going to be? Uh, what type of advice would you give to consumers at this point? Well, you know, we talked about this uh, a while back, but right now, and I think every, it's in the news, uh, you know, obviously the virus is huge. Our health is, is priority. Uh, you know, I truly believe your financial health and your physical health and mental health, they're all connected. So we all know the negative impact that stress can have on our health. So if deferring your mortgage reduces stress in your life, whether it be financial stress, mental stress, any kind of stress, then you know what? They should be taking care of it. Uh, you know, 
a person's health and their family are priority. And if this can if this can assist them, then hey, you know what? They should be absolutely applying if they haven't already to defer their mortgage. Okay, that's great. Uh, Elaine, any other questions? Or I think we're well, popping up I, on time here. You- I was just thinking, uh, just in the last 30 seconds, I know, Blair, that you talked to so many people and your business has been very, very busy as a result of what's going on, that you are hearing a lot of stress in people's lives and uh, and in their voices when they're talking to you. And it sounds like good information that, that we need to look after our mental health as much as well as our financial health and, and physical health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think everybody just has to take a step back, and I know it's stressful, but take a deep breath. Nothing is going to happen immediately. It's, uh, it's one of those things where the courts are closed. Nobody's coming after you. Nobody's taking your house. So just sit back, take a deep breath, and sort of figure out what the next best step is. And if that's to defer your mortgage, then you know what? Do it, and I'm sure you're going to feel better once it's done. That's great. Thank you, Mark. We've been talking with Mark Fidget. He's a member of Verico Mortgage Network. Uh, you can find him at www.advancedequity.ca. For information about debt and, and maybe taking some uh, steps or at least getting more information, go to Sands & Associates, their website, sands-trustee.com, or call one 800 661 3030 for that free consultation and to find an office near you. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. On the line with us, Steve Soretsky, Vancouver realtor and author behind one of Vancouver's most popular real estate blogs, which you can read easily at stevesoretsky.com. Now, real estate in the Lower Mainland is always an interesting topic, regardless of what else is going on. And in this segment, we're going to talk about two parts of it, which we don't always get a chance to sort of uh, do a bit of a deep dive on. One is the rental market in the Lower Mainland because things do change, including that, and the pre-sale market. So, Steve, welcome to the show and so glad that you can uh, give us some good information. Yeah, absolutely. It's been fun. Let's uh, let's roll. So, rental market. You were saying that there's, there's, there's some stuff going on there that we need to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on. I mean, that's been kind of changing quickly, obviously. Um, you know, the rental market in Vancouver, as I've been talking about for, for some time, it kind of peaked out about a, just over a year ago. It's kind of, you know, I wouldn't say necessarily that prices were coming down per se, but, you know, when we had the introduction of the empty homes tax, the speculation tax, it brought a little bit more supply on. And, um, yeah, so we were kind of seeing a little bit of downward movement and a little downward momentum in that rental market. And obviously now... Um, you know, we're seeing this with, with people being laid off, you know, um, you know, particularly for, as I'm sure Blair can attest to is, is, you know, renters typically don't have as much of a buffer, um, to, you know, for the, for those rainy days. So obviously some of them are struggling with the rental payments. Um, and so, you know, you have a situation where there's some, some easing on in the rental market where, um, you know, obviously, you, right now you can't evict anybody. Um, so, you know, some landlords are working with the tenants and saying, well, if you can't pay me 2000 bucks, you know, per our agreement this month, why don't we just say, hey, you know, we'll give you, let's, can you pay 1500 And so, you know, you're seeing that, but you're also seeing the landlords that do have units that are trying to rent them out. You're seeing some downwards uh, pressure on the prices there. Um, unfortunately, you know, a lot of it in Vancouver is anecdotal, but we don't have, because we just don't have good rental data. 
but I do keep in touch with a lot of contacts, like, for example, over in Toronto, and that was a, a rental market that was just absolutely booming. And, and they, they're saying, uh, my good friend over there who, who's in the rental market is saying that, you know, their prices are down on average 3.5% in the past month. And so that's kind of similar to what I'm seeing today is that, um, you know, vacancies are, are up slightly. And, um, you know, if you have a tenant leave, I mean, for example, you have a tenant leave and you have to fill that void, it's just going to be challenging to to ask that, you know, that new tenant to pay top dollar, um, you know, particularly as more Airbnb units come onto the market. Um, you know, so that's kind of what we're seeing right now. Yeah, and I think that'll be an, an interesting dynamic, Steve, as you just mentioned, the, the Airbnb and an increase in supply. Because uh, for myself as a trustee, I've been a trustee in, in Vancouver doing personal insolvency since, you know, about 2008 or so. Um, and I just can't believe the last five years, the inflation in rental costs in my Vancouver office. So uh, the listeners would have heard me say before, you know, when I was becoming a trustee, you know, a quarter to a third of your income, that was a good benchmark for rent. And a lot of people that I saw were hitting that. Now, just about everybody that I see in the Vancouver market, it's 50% of their income that's going to rent. Uh, at that point, it's pretty difficult not to have a debt problem if, you know, 50 cents of every dollar is just to keep a roof over your head. So I was feeling like, you know, rents are rising to a point where they're unsustainable for the local market. Um, so a little bit of a moderation in those costs will definitely help, you know, the average consumer make ends meet a little bit better. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's a really good point. I know we've talked about that before. But yeah, it's like, you know, you look at it, it's like at the end of the day, you know, the rental market is mostly tied to the local economy. It's like, you know, when, when, when business is good and people are getting wage increases, like you're able to obviously pass on some rent increases. But, you know, particularly when we're in an environment where we have double-digit unemployment and, you know, if you do get rehired, which is fantastic, like the, I, the last thing you're probably going to do is go to your boss and say, hey, by the way, can I get a raise? So I think that's naturally um, going to put a, a uh, you know, a cap on, on, on future rent growth here in, in the near term anyways. Well, in some ways, there's just, you know, it's, it's finally, it's validating the business cycle that not everything can go up forever and never come down. So, you know, rents can't yeah. go up forever and neither, neither can asset value. So eventually there's got to be some corrections on those. Uh, I know exactly. this is a, sh- a shorter segment. We also wanted to get some of your intel on pre-sale condos. So you know, obviously people driving around Vancouver, a ton of buildings going up, you know, a certain percentage already sold. There's probably a lot of people out there who are holding pre-sales and maybe feeling a little bit of uncertainty, you know, in, in a declining market or in a changing market, you know, what can happen. So what are the type of risks? What do you see unfolding in the pre-sale market? Yeah, no, for sure. I think this is a really important segment to highlight, um, you know, briefly. But um, so basically quick Quick, you know, we have a uh, record number of new homes under construction. So these are homes that are going to need to complete over the next 12 to 24 months. Um, and so, you know, that creates a situation where if you locked into a pre-sale, you might have, you know, gone to your bank and pre-qualified for that mortgage, um, you know, a year ago when you entered into the pre-sale agreement. But when you go to re, when you go to actually complete and close on the unit, you have to go through the uh, mortgage qualification process again. So the bank's going to say, right. "Well, do you still have a do you still have a job? Uh, you do, uh, you know, if you do have a job, great. Like, are you making you know what you thought you were going to make?" And so I think there's going to be some problems with people, unfortunately, closing on these units. Um, again, obviously, you got laid off, or if you if you were making a hundred thousand dollars a year and now you're only making you know eighty five thousand a year because you got a different job, um, you know that that's that's going to impact your qualifications. 
And, you know, unfortunately, it was a speculative, uh, you know, highly speculative market, the, the pre-sale market. It's just naturally what it always is and was. Um, but right now, like pre-coming into the virus, um, the number of assignments, which is basically, basically people trying to flip their pre-sale obligations. So the number of assignments listed for sale on the MLS was actually at all-time highs coming into this. So oh, that wow. basically tells me that you had quite a few number of individuals that obviously were hoping to sort of off you know, sell their, their obligations, basically. Like they were never intending to live in the units. To, to your point, it's a bit speculative. It's you buy it at pre-sale, and then when it's constructed, if the market went up 30 or 40%, well, you're a genius, right? Yeah, exactly. So obviously some people were just like, hey, let me just test the market and see if I can make a quick profit. Um, I'm sure that some of them also are people that maybe didn't have any intentions to actually close or maybe can't qualify. Um, so there's there's some of that. And, and uh, you know, as we sort of move into further out the uh, the pre-sale sort of curve if you you know like if you had bought a pre-sale in 2016 chances are because the market you know was up quite a bit like you know you're probably still in the positive but you know if you bought a pre-sale and say near the peak of the market in 2017 2018 and you're closing you know at the end of this year or you know early into 2021 like you know there's a probably a, a very realistic scenario where like that condo might not be worth what you paid for. And so again, the bank is going to look at it and say, well, your pre-sale obligation says that you paid $800,000 for this condo, but based on our bank appraisal, we only think it's worth 750,000. So, you know, you're going to have to come up with that difference. And Steve, help our listeners understand what happens if you can't complete on a pre-sale. So, so yeah, what happens on a pre-sale is if you can't complete um, the, you know, your, your deposit, which you gave to the developers, obviously, forfeited um and the developer can actually come back and sue you for the difference so if they pre-sold you you know the condo for a million dollars and you walk away and have to go resell it in a bad market and they can only get you know eight hundred and fifty thousand. well they might sue you for that difference so they say well you gave us a 100k deposit but there's still a fifty thousand dollar shortfall you know we were going to take you to court and try to get that difference and we saw a little bit of that in 2008 2009 uh, not a whole lot, but it, it did happen, and and so that's that's obviously a potential scenario that that could play out. Unfortunately, I just I was just going to say we we need to wrap this segment up. I just want to remind uh, the listener as well that Steve's got a terrific blog. It's really widely read. Uh, it's stevesaretsky dot com. That's a good place to start. And if you've been and if you've been feeling like you need to take some action on some debts that you've got. Check out uh, the Sands and Associates website. It's sands-trustee.com, or you can give them a call at 1-800-661-3030. Get that free consultation, as well as to find an office near you. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So, man, oh man, oh man, we are living in and through an extraordinary time right now. Unprecedented in so many ways. Blair Manton, how are things going on your end? 
Well, I think, you know, if we were saying things are going absolutely swimmingly, we wouldn't be accurate because, you know, just everybody these days, we've never lived through anything like this and hopefully we don't have to face it again. Um, you know, from our perspective, it's definitely been a challenging uh, period of time since, you know, essentially a lot of things have shut down. Uh, but, you know, the message to listeners out there is we're here for you. We're still fully operational and we've made a bunch of changes to our operations, um, Elaine. So it's, it's really helping us to, you know, deal with a lot of the uncertainty, a lot of the challenges people are facing. We're getting call volumes like we've never seen before in these past few weeks and months now. I bet you have. Do you want to talk about some of the changes that you've made? Uh, like, can people still come into your office or how have you organized that? Yeah, I'm really happy to talk about the, the changes that we have made. So what we've had to do, and, you know, everything, I think a lot of businesses have taken a bit of a phased approach. So, you know, we started by, okay, first we're not going to shake hands, and then we're going to try to keep, you know, social distancing. We had to make the decision uh, around mid-March or so to close all the offices to walk-in traffic. Um, so all of our offices, you know, if you go there now, there's a notice on the door saying, you know, please visit us online, or you can come to us in our Surrey office if there's something imperative that you have to drop off, like a payment or a document. But what's happened in the meantime is is the government has relaxed some of the very old-style, uh, archaic regulations that required that everybody that sees a trustee has to meet face-to-face. -face. And you can imagine in this type of an environment, Elena, asking somebody to come in and meet a trustee face-to-face -to, -face to deal with a debt problem, uh, it's just not right to put themselves or perhaps our staff at risk. So the government has relaxed that requirement. So what we've been doing um, since about mid-March now is we're seeing 100% of our clients either online through video conference or over the telephone. Uh, and we've actually developed a in-house electronic signature platform uh, that we're able to video conference, we're able to sign all the documents electronically. So I've had a number of clients say, you know, even if I could have come in to see you in person, this is more efficient. I don't need to go out of my house. I don't need to pay for gas or parking or bridges. Um, I can just come in, get, or I can you know, go online, get the advice that I need, and we're able to react that much more quickly. So the pandemic's been very difficult for a lot of industries, but what it's done for the insolvency industry is it's jumped us to the 21st century, which was far overdue. That's so interesting, especially uh, when rules were changed uh, so that you could continue to do business. Like, I love that, that, that government was willing to be a little bit flexible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I've got to say, I've, I hold some pride as a, as a Canadian here and, you know, how quickly and, you know, smartly I think the government has responded. Not everything they've done is, is you know, perfect, but at least they've made a lot of efforts. And our regulator is no different. They realize, you know, very much uh, fr from the start here that, you know, the need for debt help is not going to go away during this pandemic. If anything, it's going to increase. And, you know, we're just having a lot of people who are at home, maybe they're off work, and the mind races and you just don't know what's going on. This is when you need debt help more than ever. And I think our regulator really saw, well, you can't, you know, expect trustees or their staff or the clients to start to put themselves literally in mortal danger if, if we're going to have to come in for a face-to-face -face meeting. Um, so they've said, you know, this is a temporary type of a, a relaxation of the rules. Uh, most trustees that I speak to, we don't see how we would ever go back, um, you know, to forcing everybody physically to be in our presence when a video conference, electronic signature, you can achieve the same type of thing. Uh, and sometimes there's even some better benefits. You can do a screen share and it's very clear, you know, what you're pointing at and things like that. So um, they, we found it just to be a revelation and how we can help clients now. Now, we know that um, things weren't going super well for everyone prior to this situation. Uh, you saw increases in consumer, uh, consumer debt, and of course, now it's going to be even worse or potentially even worse. So um, let's talk about how you're helping people, not the physical stuff, but what's the kinds of things that you're telling people now? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right, Elaine, in that it wasn't the case the Canadian consumer was in great shape and, you know, this is just a little chink in the armor. No, the Canadian consumer was actually having a very, very tough time, you know, to the point, I believe we talked in a previous show, that in the month of July 2019 or July 2020, there was a 35% increase year over year from July 2019 to 20 in the number of people filing for bankruptcies or making proposals in the province of BC, and that's well before this pandemic ever hit. So a lot of people have been overextended. You know, as of now, the volumes are a little bit down because, you know, a lot of people, they're uncertain. They're not sure about what their income is and what they can do. Um, But we expect, you know, once things start to return to some normalcy, uh, I would anticipate probably the volumes are going to double across Canada, if not more. Um, in the short term, the type of information that we're given to people, you know, a lot of it is just, you know, having the time to sit down, to empathize, to understand what's going on. But there are some really key things that we want to communicate. And, you know, the number one thing for people, and I think a lot of people are keeping up on this, is just to stay informed and stay aware. So things are changing so rapidly right now. Um, you know, the government and the province are coming out with new programs. It seems just about every week or so are making tweaks to existing programs. Um, so for me to give an outline of the programs now, it may be out of out of date by the time this airs. So what we recommend to people here is, you know, you go to the the reputable Canadian websites, you go to Canada.ca for federal announcements, you go to gov.bc.ca for provincial announcements, um, but also be very careful about scams because uh, the immoral amongst us, they have not taken any time off. So I've had people call me and say, you know, this uh, loan small business loan program, it seems like it's a, it's a bit different than what the government's outlining. And I'm saying, well, yes, you're, you're actually being scammed right now. Don't give them any personal information. Uh, I've seen some outbound calls where someone has said, you know, we'll be, your, uh, we'll be your agent to get you access to these federal funds, but all we need is your social insurance number, your business number, your mother's maiden name, <laughs> different things like that. It's just a clear, transparent attempt at identity theft. So stay informed, stay aware, uh, and just, you know, keep your skepticism hat on as well. Excellent. Now, I know you've sort of adopted uh, some of the ideas that Dr. Bonnie Henry has been talking about in terms of just keeping calm here. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's right. And again, Dr. Henry is just such an inspiring figure now, and, and she definitely, you know, creates a lot of confidence among the population. And I really love it when she says, you know, this is not forever, but it is for now. And it's just so important, you know, that we, we do realize that all this is going to pass. So what I'm advising my clients, you know, it's a little bit of a throwback to, you know, England during the, the Second World War here is just to keep calm and carry on. You know, don't make any panic decisions. Don't do any panic buying or selling. Don't start liquidating your assets. Don't start redeeming your RRSPs. It's probably the case that decisions you're going to make in haste right now are not going to be the right decisions when you look at them in the cold light of day. Um, you know, one thing that I've been telling people, and you know, a lot of people don't know this, and it comes as a little bit of a relief and a godsend in some cases, is there's very little that creditors can do to you at the current time, because at this time, courts across Canada are closed. What that means is that you can't be sued for payments on your debts. So if someone is a long-term listener to this program, they would have heard us say, okay, well, there's a statute of limitations, there's two years. Um, if someone doesn't sue you for your debt after two years, it goes away. Well, the government has suspended that statute of limitations. So it's not that you know creditors are any worse off. It's just essentially there's a ceasefire. No one can take legal action against you to force um, to force you to pay the debts at this time until the courts are reopened. So for someone that's thinking they need to act in haste because the government's going to be coming for their house or for their wages, uh, sorry, because a creditor's going to come for their house or for their wages, that just can't happen right now with the courts being closed. Okay. And, and you always mention credit ratings, what people should be paying attention to, and that's possibly not something to worry about right now. 
Yeah, I, I think in the short term, I get these questions a lot. You know, well, what about my credit rating? If I don't have enough money to go around after I paid rent, groceries, and so on and so forth, something's going to take a hit. And I just tell people, well, you've got to decide what's important to you at this point in time. And that's addressing all of your necessities, all the important things, the rent, the food, shelter, so on and so forth. You know, at that point, if you don't have money for debt payments, you know, your best bet, we're going to talk about this in a little while, is to talk about, you know, potentially contacting your creditors. But you do need to accept that if you're not able to make payments, the credit, the credit rating could take a hit in the short term, um, but really it's nothing that you can't recover from. People go from a bankruptcy to fully recovered credit, getting a mortgage, you know, in the space of a couple of years. So if you have to miss a few payments during this downturn, um, you know, first off, I think creditors would be pretty understanding about that when they're looking at you and saying, well, you missed a few payments during the pandemic. I wonder why. Um, but I would encourage you not to focus on the credit rating in the short term. I wouldn't even be checking it. I'd be more focused on, do I have enough money to meet my expenses every month? Uh, am I able to honor those obligations first? Okay. And what if you're not? What if you're not able to, uh, to honor those obligations? What's the kind of good action that we should be taking? Yeah, and that segues just perfectly into our third piece of advice, which is to take action, but make sure it's the right action. So the number one thing to do uh, is to communicate with your creditors. So to anyone that you're not going to be able to make your regular payments, you know, don't be afraid to ask for a deferral on your rent, on your mortgage, on your debt payments or otherwise, even if your financial institution hasn't publicly said, you know, hey, we're willing to help. And some banks have been better than others. You know, I've heard Van City is doing deferrals sometimes with no additional interest charges. You'd want to check that out. Uh, a lot of other banks, they're saying, yeah, we'll defer the payment, but the interest still accumulates and the interest on interest accumulates. Um, so there is the case that that balance would still have to be paid a little bit later on. Um, both of the credit bureaus are giving free access to online credit reports. So if you're not sure about your obligations, or I said before, don't worry about the credit rating, that's true. But if you're just not sure who you actually owe, uh, the pandemic has uh, led Equifax and TransUnion to give free online access to credit reports now. So if you go to their websites, you can get your credit report if you're not sure about who you owe and who you should be contacting to. Um, I think the number one thing, you know, the actual action people can take other than contacting their creditors is really an action that everybody should be doing as a matter of course, and that's to make sure you don't bank where you owe money. And the reason for that is, as I said before, courts are closed, so you can't be sued if you miss payments on your debts and they're going to try to take your wages. That's going to have to wait until the courts reopen. But if you owe Bank A some money and you have a bank account with Bank A also, they have the right to come into your account and take whatever is required to satisfy the obligation that you've missed. So that could happen you know, right when you're about to deposit your paycheck, right when you're about to pay your rent. It can be a very inopportune time. So I recommend to anybody out there, if you think you will be missing some payments or you know, even not at the best practice is to set up a new bank account where you don't have any debt and just make sure your income is always protected there. Literally, that money couldn't be touched until the courts are reopened. Um, and that's going to take months from now. Uh, now, you've also included in, in this particular segment about what the action you can take is, is about how you, and I think this is important at any given time, is how you talk to yourself about being a little bit forgiving of yourself. Because I know, boy, oh boy, it's so easy to get down and uh, being angry or being ashamed or being embarrassed uh, falls right into that same category about kindness. 
Exactly. So, you know, we say it, be kind to yourself. You know, just imagine if it was someone you really, really cared about and they did what you've done, you probably wouldn't judge them as harshly as you, as you judge yourself. So, you know, this is not a time to really be ashamed or beat yourself up. You didn't have savings. You could have been better prepared. You know, you could have had more of an emergency fund. Yes, those things may be true, but there's not a whole lot that's going to be gained from really dwelling on that. It's all what are the right actions to take now, you know, put your energy into contacting your creditors, communicating, change the bank account if you need to, and then getting the good advice to know what you can do to deal with your debts. So, you know, reach out for help. I know we're almost at the end of our segment here, but uh, Elaine, anybody that's listening, if you're unsure about, you know, what your financial options are, if you're just feeling a lot of uncertainty right now, uh, we're doing nothing else but answering the phone these days, setting up, you know, video conferences to help people sleep better in respect to their debts. Excellent. And I'll give you two things as we close out. The uh, online address, sans-trustee.com, or the phone number 1-800-661-3030, toll-free in British Columbia. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. This segment, it's so great because it's all about warning signs for homeowners because real estate market and owning your own home in the lower mainland and really in all sorts of places in British Columbia, it's often a bit of a gamble. Um, so this is a good, this is a really good segment. If you're thinking about, oh, gee, this is cropped up, that's cropped up. What should I do about it? So all about the warning signs of a possibly a looming debt problem for you, especially if you own a home and you're carrying debts in addition to your mortgage. So owning a home is a great source of pride for most people. And, but sometimes it can be, I don't know, the beginning of the end. That sounds pretty bad. But when you're in a crazy market like we are in terms of mortgage rates, et cetera, and special assessments and property taxes, which can go up and down um, so easily and can really put people in, in situations, in a bad situation. This is such a great segment, Blair. So let's, can we talk about some of the common housing problems or situations that people are coming to you to talk about or, or at least to get some help with? Yeah, certainly, Elaine. So, so thank you for that. And I think I agree. It is an important topic. You know, from my perspective as, as a trustee, you know, it's been striking to me the, the very small number of people that come to us for help that are homeowners. So we did a survey about 1,300 of our clients in the past year who had filed bankruptcy or made a consumer proposal. And that's a pretty significant proportion of all those in the province. And it was only 4.4% of people uh, who had filed the bankruptcy or a proposal were homeowners. So the vast majority of people that came to see us, uh, they were renters, they were maybe uh, living with family, they were students, different things like that. Um, But, you know, a whole lot of of people didn't own real estate, which was quite surprising. You know, I thought it'd be a higher rate uh, than the the 4% there. But what we found is that it wasn't the case that, you know, homeowners were immune to debt. What's happened is that with prices going up every year, uh, it's allowed a lot of homeowners to really validate or, you know, correct some, you know, bad behavior, unfortunately, um, just by tapping the equity in their home on a, on a recurring basis. So what that comes down to is home equity lines of credit. And a home equity line of credit, you typically just need to pay the interest balance on it. So rather than a credit card bill or something like that, where you know, you're paying off the debt over time, a lot of individuals that I've spoken with, and a bit of a theory there's more to come here, um, they're typically tapping their equity with home equity lines of credit, you know, putting charges against that. And it's okay when the prices go up every few years and you refinance and you pay off all those lines of credit. 
well, okay as a relative term because obviously you've got less equity than you would have if you didn't do that. Um, but right. what really happens is if your values start to decline or if they start to freeze, uh, you might find that, oh my God, I've now got this home equity line of credit. Uh, you know, I'm paying interest only on it right now, but I'm hearing a lot of rumors from banks where you know, a lot of people don't realize that their home equity lines of credit are basically callable loans. So the bank at any point could say, you know, we're not comfortable with this. We want to pay down by half or a third or the whole thing paid down. And if you can't do that, that could force you to essentially put the home on the market and maybe sell it in a tough market just to deal uh, with the home equity line of credit, even if the mortgage is in good shape, but you've, you've essentially eroded the equity using the, the HELOC too much. Interesting. That's super interesting. And we get, you know, we're, we get inundated with the advertising about home equity lines of credit from all kinds of sources. And it always makes me a bit nervous when I see them because I think, boy, if you're used, if you're going to that and they say, hey, for $10,000, for $100,000 or yeah. $500,000, and it sounds so fabulous. But at the end of the day, you really are putting yourself in um, a tough situation or a tougher situation at the end of the day, I think. Oh, yeah. And it, it's some of the heartbreaking meetings that I have when I sit down. I, I you know, sit down with a couple, for example, and sometimes they're, you know, older, you know, past their working life. They've owned a house in Vancouver for 30 years. They might have bought it for, you know, $100,000 and now it's worth $2 million. Uh, but Elaine, when we look through and we say, how do you have no equity? They have no equity because year after year when they got these assessments and the value went up and the bank said, oh, you can refinance and get this money out and do this renovation or spend it on a trip or something like that. Uh, it's to the point where, yeah, all of this equity that they should have had in the future for a very comfortable retirement, it's all been spent in advance, which is exactly what a home equity line of credit lets you do. It's just basically spending in advance the equity that you're hoping to build up and probably the, great, the biggest investment for most people. Right. So what do, you, what do we look for? What, do, what are you suggesting that homeowners watch out for, uh, for signs that you could be headed for trouble? Well, the first one is to really take a holistic look at how much of your income is spent on housing. So look at all of your, your expenses on a monthly basis, put a budget together, consider your mortgage, your strata, any special assessments, your insurance, repairs, so on and so forth. Uh, if that as a percentage of your income is more than about 35%, and oftentimes I'm seeing it around 50% or more, uh, you're really putting yourself on the nice edge because it's very difficult for you to save any emergency fund uh, to diversify yourself at all if 50% of your income is essentially going to your housing. Um, so be very, very careful. And if that does happen, uh, you may want to consider at that point, you know, is this sustainable? You know, is my income going to increase enough that's going to go down over time? Or am I just in the wrong house? You know, I bought this thinking the prices were going to go way up. They haven't. And now I'm really putting myself in a tough financial situation with all my money going to housing. So it's the whole, you know, house poor type of situation. Right. Got it. Um, what about uh, what about relying on credit? I would think that that would be a bit of a concern. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes this can be a little bit of, of a revelation because a lot of people don't realize a lot of banks, you know, they've, they put things into, you know, a single account, a readvanceable mortgage, you know, you access the line of credit every month and it gets paid off a little when your paycheck comes in. And sometimes it's so mixed up together that you don't realize you're actually relying on credit every month that the money going out is, you know, it exceeds the money coming in from your salary. And the difference is that your home equity line or even your mortgage balance isn't getting paid down. It's going up over time. Uh, so you got to be careful about that if that is the case, but also look at your behavior. So aside from your mortgage, if you're you know, spending 50% of your housing costs, are you then relying on credit cards to make up the difference in your daily costs? Are you taking out payday loans? Are you moving money around from one card to another, trying to get the low interest rate on this one for six months and then flip it on to the next one for another six months? And sometimes, you know, you can do that for a period of time, uh, but it typically doesn't have a happy ending. 
Right. So, so you've mentioned a bunch of things to, to watch out for. What else? Uh, what else in terms of behavior should you pay attention to if you're, if you feel like you're sort of edging towards there? Especially like things that we've talked about before about making minimum payments for things. Yeah, that's the number one warning sign, Elaine. I'm really happy you hit on that because if you find that you're stretched and all you're doing is paying the minimums, to me, that's the biggest warning sign that you've got a real debt problem because, you know, even $6,000 on minimum payments is going to be a 40-year payment plan. So imagine your balance, if all you're paying is minimums on that, you know, you're doing nothing but giving the bank about a 20% return on their money every year, which is great for them, uh, but not really helping you in your financial situation. So if you're only making the minimums, that's a big warning sign. If you've borrowed against most of your home equity, so if you look at, well, where would I be right now if I didn't take out a home equity line um, and you know just paid the mortgage down? And the reality is, you're so significantly worse off there. You really need to look back and understand the why. You know, is it just a monthly overspending? Is it the broken budget? Are you just in an unsustainable situation? You're just hoping that the capital asset, the house itself, the price is going to go up enough that when you sell, everything's going to get paid back. And to be straight with you, for the last five, ten years, that has worked out. You know, people being overextended and then putting the house on the market and getting a big bump when it sells, that's allowed them to you know, essentially clear a lot of the debt, not have a whole lot of equity, but at least clear the debt. The challenge is as you go forward in a bit of a slowing market, is that going to be possible again in the future? So in our last minute and a half, we're going to talk about two options that you're an expert on. So we're not going to be able to cover all the information, that's for sure. But give folks an idea or a sense of the two options that are left, that if they need to make some changes or they need to, to really attack their debt. Yeah, I would say before people jump to the conclusion that, you know, the only option here is I've got to sell the house or I've got to allow a foreclosure or the bank's going to take it back or something like that, you know, realize that with a licensed insolvency trustee, you probably do have a couple of options at least. You know, one is to do a consumer proposal and, you know, proposal or a bankruptcy, both of them you could structure where you keep the house, you keep making the mortgage payments or where you surrender the house back to the bank and you deal with it. If there's a shortfall with the, basically the financial hangover, you deal with that so you start back at zero. So if it was a consumer proposal, we'd have to look at, well, what's the value of the equity in the house? What's the value of the debts? And if the equity is worth less than the debts, we're able to make a deal on the debts. We can offer a reasonable settlement, you know, pay back what the person can afford. You know, if they've got a lot of equity and we're not able to reduce the debts, at least we're able to freeze all the interest, give them five years to pay things off, and they'd be able to stay in the house as well. So it's not the case, you know, that the only answer is to sell or to have it foreclosed. There are definitely some options, either a proposal in the first instance or even a personal bankruptcy would allow you to get back to zero. And here's the best thing about Sands and Associates is their website. They've got so much good information that will answer a lot of your questions if you're thinking this may be your route. It's sands-trustee.com. That's the website. Or better yet, give them a call 1-800-661-3030 and get that free first consultation as well as find an office near you. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. 
<laughs> For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.